1: Welcome back to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. A drama-free, ad-free, politics-free, safe place for you to come and be healed from domestic violence, abuse, and trauma, with the Lord's help, of course. I hope you're having a good week. We have a wonderful show for you today. My guest today is Bill Sanyard. And he has this gospel app that is really intriguing. I can't wait to find out more about it. But it has to do with healing from abuse and shame. We're all about healing on this podcast, aren't we? That's the name of the game. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Bill. He's an experienced pastor, discipler, church revitalization specialist, lecturer, and conference speaker, with twenty five years as a local church pastor. He is the author of twelve books and two one line experiential paths to help people who struggle with identity, relationships, shame addiction, loneliness, and forgiveness. So if you've been a listener of the podcast for very long then you know that I am a facilitator for mending the soul groups. Although I highly recommend mending the soul I'm very passionate about it. I realize that not everybody, not everybody heals in the same way. Some people, Prefer different types of tools for healing. And we're on the journey together. And so perhaps something that Dr. Bill Senyard would say or the resources that he has would help you. So I'm excited to have him on the show. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Senyard. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Dr. Bill Senior, thanks for coming on the show today.
2: It is so great to be here, Diana. I, I, I appreciate it.
1: I'm uh, glad that you reached out to me. I'm very intrigued about your gospel mm-hmm. app, and it's about healing, and we're all about healing here on the podcast, and well, we're going to get to know you a little bit first for the listeners, so let's start off with you telling us about your family, and what do you do for fun?
2: <laughs> well, I'm married uh, to to Eunice. I have three adult kids. They're scattered all over the country. Uh, my oldest uh, is a professor at Wheaton College. My youngest daughter is uh, at seminary now, and my middle son is working for Google. And uh, <laughs> has yeah, so they're, all, they're scattered all over the country. Um, so what I do for fun is I, I'm i i'm a sucker for stories so I watch movies I, I read books i i love narrative i am just i'm a sucker for good stories and how stories were told that's how I preached that's how I write um, so I love movies i love books I, uh, I I just love those things um that's how we raised our kids as we told them stories um, so I do other things uh, for fun i, I play guitar and, and a few not like not like your husband Diana but I goof around Around with guitar, but my big thing is stories.
1: So, what like your favorite book or a favorite movie?
2: Well, my favorite book I would have to say is uh, C.S. Lewis's The uh, The Great Divorce. Just think, it's brilliant. Matter of fact, most of his stuff is brilliant. Yes, and, his stuff is and, wonderful. Uh, just, just absolutely love that stuff. Uh, movies, I'm all across the board. There's a movie up for Academy Award this year called Coda, which is brilliant.
1: I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about
2: it. It it stands for Child of Deaf Adults, and it's this young lady who, who processes all of that, and she wants to pursue a certain career, and it goes to get. I mean, it's just a, it's just a really well written, uh, well acted, well casted story. I mean, it really is brilliant. It's up for Best Picture. Uh, Mm. I, I hope it gets it. Anyway, we'll have to check that
1: well. out. You know, I was we're just always... in
2: tears. I was on a plane flying uh, uh, to, and I watched it on the plane and I'm just in tears. You know, it's sort of a sad thing, but Aww. it was very well done.
1: Yeah. Or movie boss too. And I um, always looking for good quality stuff to watch. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So you told me that you were a pastor at one time.
2: Yeah, uh, I've had multiple careers, but the latest one for 25 years was uh, as a pastor, three churches I was the lead pastor of, uh, started a church in Canada and the Vancouver, British Columbia area, and then moved over to a very struggling church in Philadelphia, and then to a church on massive decline in the Denver area. So that's kind of what I do. Uh, I work with with broken churches. And uh, since yeah. that time, since 20. Uh, 16, I've been, uh, I started my own not-for-profit to really kind of package the stuff that I was preaching about the gospel to see if it actually would help hurting Christians. That really is my passion. Um, mm. We're really, we evangelicals are really good at telling the gospel to people who are lost, but to preach the gospel to ourselves, particularly when we're hurting, there's a real hesitancy to do that, which is really too bad. And And the church is, Uh, There's a huge exodus from the church now. And uh, the millennials that I've talked to, and I write a lot about millennials and Gen Z, they are the first thing they tell me is, why would I go to church? Because every time I go, I get shamed. Yeah. And I I don't get healed. I don't, nobody seems to be processing my issues with loneliness and uh, anxiety, and they're sky high for this. So, uh, what I try to do is give people tools and approaches, uh, Christians and pastors. I do a lot of revitalization to help them uh, begin to, to uh, speak the gospel in ways that people are ready to listen. I mean, it is about healing. We're all, uh, we're all beat up in this crazy world, every one of us. And, mm-hmm. and so the gospel really should be going out talking about how we can experience healing uh, through the gospel, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3, through the power of God, through the, uh, the, the spirit in our inner being, we can begin to know the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us. This is, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, that would change everything, every day. And so that's, oh, that's, that's my focus and my passion.
1: How did you actually get into the ministry? So
2: uh, you know, it's, me. It's, it's, it's kind of a... There's
1: got to be a, a story.
2: <laughs> it's a funny story exactly right um, so I was uh, working as a I have a I'm an engineer by training I have an MBA I did management consulting and, and then I, I, I was co-owner of an engineering firm that did business all over the all over the world a Ramco and and but I became a Christian and and I started getting into the Bible and I started teaching and I really experienced this gift of, of teaching and um, so, I always said, God, if you want me to do something crazy, I'm willing to do it. Just let me know. And, and uh, you know, tell my wife, too, because so she would know. <laughs> and uh, so I started applying to, to seminaries just to do courses online. And there's plenty of courses online. I thought I could just keep doing this and keep teaching and having a great time. And God just crazy opened up a door in Vancouver. Uh, I just I visited this school, Regent College. Uh, you might have heard of j. i. Packer or Bruce Walke or Gordon fee anyway these are these are ridiculously spirit filled theologians and teachers and path- I mean they were amazing so I went up there to actually meet Dr. Packer. I loved his books they they were part of my growth as a Christian and I was told that he was very accessible so I went up there uh we were doing work in Canada, so I stopped in Vancouver and I go to college to the college and, and he wasn't there. The uh, person who was making the appointment uh, went on maternity leave, you know, urgently. And oh, yeah. and, so, and I'm standing there with, you know, and there was two people that I was supposed to meet with and neither one were there because they didn't know I was. So I was upset. I was irritable. I was, I was really not a, a good idea of a Christian. And the lady, uh, the, the temporary lady said, well, there's one, one guy's here. And I went, all right. I'm looking at my watch like it makes a difference, you know. I was being uh, a pain. And I said, fine. Who is this guy? I'll meet him. Well, it was this uh, professor, Dr. James Houston. He was a spiritual formation uh, uh, professor and, and uh, so I went into his office, and, and it's this little tiny office. He was one of the founders of the seminary, but I didn't know that the college, and I walked in, and he's, he's like a gnome. That's what he looks like. He's, he's Scottish. He has kind of the Scottish grin, and he had the, the British smoking jacket on and a pipe. <laughs> I mean, it was just a caricature of a, of a Scottish theologian, and, and he waves me over to sit in this big stuffed chair, and I thought, Why why am I here, you know? And I'm talking to the guy just for a couple of minutes. I mean, two minutes tops. And he looks over, he leans over, he sets his pipe down and he goes, so do you mind? I think I can tell you about your mother. And I went, what? He says, I think I can tell you about your mother. And I went, I have no idea what you're talking about, but go ahead. My mother was very quirky. I mean, she was very, very quirky. Uh, Dr. Houston nailed it. I mean, it was shocking what he told me about my mother. Just shocking. I mean, I I just was stunned. And then he grinned and picked up his pipe and put it in his mouth and said, I think I can tell you about your father too. And I went, oh my goodness, my father is even quirkier than my mother. And he was incredibly insightful about my dad. And then this this is kind of the punchline. He looks over at me and he says, I think I can tell you what the desire of your heart is. I didn't even know I had one. So you have never talked to this guy. No, no. And <laughs> so he starts talking. I, I'm telling you the truth. I don't know what he said, but what he said was so powerful. My mind just blanked out and it was, it was crazy. I started bawling. And for for minutes, I was in tears. And I said, is this what you guys do here? And he goes, aye, we try. And and, uh, so I went there. I mean, God just opened up door after door after door, provided financing and all the things that we needed. And I took every single class I could from Dr. Houston. And it was from Dr. Houston that I learned. This was so revolutionary for me. I'd been a Christian for 15 years by then teaching Sunday school classes, leading worship, um, mm-hmm. doing outreaches, mission trips. I'd been doing all of those things ferociously, but in this chair, I learned from Dr. Houston, one particular, you have to go through counseling if you, if you took his classes. And I learned that God, I knew God loved me, uh, and but what I had in my mind was more of a contract uh, more of a positional thing more of a check in the box thing but i did not believe that god liked me now i'm yeah. i'm i'm shame prone it was, you know weight issues as a young boy and and you know being bullied and all of those things so and that's still stuck with me and you know in, in attachment theory i still have that inner working model of i wonder if i'm likable i wonder if i'm you know those kind of things and i projected that to god and it just cracked me open. I, I, I just, I went into immediate depression when I felt that, which is maybe not surprising to you because I just realized, oh my gosh, I've wasted 15 years. And what's wrong with me? That it all does shame talk started. Mm. But it changed my life. It changed how I taught. It changed how I read the Bible. It changed how I understood Jesus. It changed how I preached. And to this day, I'm still preaching to people Christians who struggle with believing that God actually likes them, and that's that's my passion is reminding people what Jesus purchased Christians, what Jesus purchased for them two thousand years ago, and and uh, I'm, I'm with the, the ancient, the old theologian back in the 16th century who said the it's the, the secret workings of the Holy Spirit in Christians to make them feel the love of God for them today. Yes, and I'm I just you know when I meet. Christians who are struggling with whatever addiction, uh, unforgiveness, uh, abuse, um, particularly church abuse. Uh, one of the things that cures that is just this overwhelming feeling experience of this height and width and length and depth of, of the love of Jesus for them. It's amazing how little we talk about that and take it seriously. We we all uh, we all believe it, right, Diana? Yes. But the experience of that. I find kind of rare.
1: Yeah. You're what you say about shame and mm-hmm. stuff is very common. It's yes. Very common. And. Um,
2: That's tragic. We should know better. Yeah. Now we'll have shame till we die. I get that right. Heaven. Heaven's going to be great. And this ain't it. But. Oh my gosh, we should be experiencing this more. Absolutely. We can't. And, and we're on the same team there. Both of us go. Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah,
1: very, very much so. Um, so let's let's start with the person who feels like they're a disappointment to Jesus.
2: Yeah, you've just described most Christians. We've let me give you an example, uh, and this gets into the, the one of the online experiential paths that we've done. Uh, Jesus has told us to forgive 70 times, seven times, right? That's a lot of times. Yeah. I don't do it. <laughs> just, I'm terrible at it. And then he says you actually have to forgive from the heart, which is a, a, an idiom for you have to really, really, really want to. I mean, you have to really be forgiving. It's, it's like this high, high bar. It's not just fake it till you make it. So we've been telling Christians that. And I don't know a single Christian that has a forgiving free, you know, a wounded free life that we're all holding on to these these things that we can't forgive we can't process we can't let go and and so when we hear sermons that say you should be forgiving and when we're honest with ourselves we go but i've tried i've tried jesus and and the implication and we don't say this from the pulpit but the implication when they leave our congregations when they leave church when they drive home they're, that critical inner voice in their head is saying, you aren't a good Christian because you're disappointing Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a disappointment to Jesus. You can see how that evolves to, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. That's, that's the critical inner voice in our head. And so everyone, uh, this is one of the problems millennials have with churches is, is we boomers, we, we love the application part of sermons, you know, based upon what we've taught all the exegesis and all the teaching, here are three things that we need to do. Well, we boomers love that. Like, okay, give me a list. Yeah. But millennials take them as microaggressors. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I know I should be loving my wife. Like, you know, like Christ loves the church or I, I, I should be, you know, not doing that addiction, not self-medicating, not, I know I should be happy, joyful dancing, but I'm not. I and and they just tune out and they go. Why would I come back to hear that? And I know one lady, a millennial. Mm-hmm. She was late coming to her church, her church that she had been going to for years. And she walked into a church, and she was feeling depressed. She was feeling like, she, you know, she wasn't good for some reason. She walked in everybody is she says it uh, was was hands raised worshiping jesus as the victorious lord and they're singing and you know you know that's a beautiful thing and but she looked around and said i don't feel like jesus is victorious in my life mm. she left her church just in shame walked out and didn't hasn't gone to another church since um it's shame it's so 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 powerful it's, it's missing the message, um, uh, the, the, the big message is Jesus, and this is what I call a simple uncluttered gospel, and I've been hammering this in multiple countries throughout the world, and here it is, Christian, Christian strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God has to love you. He does love you. (laughs) He loves you as much as the Father, loves the Son and the Spirit, and the Son and the Spirit love the Father. He can't love you any more, can't love you any less. Uh, I know sometimes it feels that way, but that's in your own head. And the way to get over that is you can ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to make you feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ and do it now and then do it in an hour and then do it in another hour and just develop this new habit of asking God to make you feel adored, and 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 so you, this I work with a lot of addicts, and addiction is this powerful, mm-hmm. powerful repeating message in your brain. It's a habit. It's a very powerful entrenched habit. And what we used to do in the '80s and, and '70s, we used to tell addicts just to stop their addiction. Our brains, now we know our brains are not wired that way. They can stop their activity, but their brain is still telling them to have that drink or to watch pornography or whatever they're addicted to. It's just going, it's strong, and it's just going to keep on going until they listen. Mm-hmm. So what we've learned is while that's going you start a new habit really small and you start it in you know alongside of that other habit and what i have found is 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 getting people to say this simple uncluttered gospel to themselves over and over and over and over until that becomes the strongest narrative. So when that other thing says you need to watch pornography there is an option now in their brain before you do that tell yourself how much, uh, God loves you because of what Jesus did and get your cup filled just a little bit. So it's not just desperately empty. I've seen dramatic things happen, not perfectly because this is not heaven, but, but, but addicts changed, uh, living mm. with hope, still failing. You know, it's an addiction. They'll have it till they die, but laughing a little bit, dancing yes. a little bit, reading their, going to their church a little bit. Um, it's simple. The gospel is ridiculously powerful, but we just can't sit on it and think we're going to experience it this side of heaven.
1: Mm. Yeah, I like what you said about forgiveness. I found that forgiveness is a supernatural thing. Yes. Very much so. I don't know if you know Corey Ten Boom's sure. story when she forgave the actual guard that was in the concentration camp with her and her sister. And she didn't want to forgive that man. It's good. And she stuck her hand out. And why would she,
2: humanly speaking? Yeah. Right.
1: Humanly speaking, she stuck her hand out, and the Lord gave her that. Right. Gave her that forgiveness to extend.
2: Right. That's exactly right. Can I tell you about the forgiving path? Because this is fun. Absolutely. Um, So I'll tell you where it came from, first of all, is, is, uh, So I told you I planted a church in Vancouver, British Columbia. I had never run a church. I'll tell you, I've run businesses. I have an MBA. I did manage a consulting, but churches are different. (laughs) So I made all kinds of mistakes. But God's sense of humor came through. And in our core group, which was growing fairly strongly in an area of really non- Uh, unchurched area. They were 5% church attendance in in Mm -hmm. the area we were in. So fun and exciting. And we got people from all over the world. But God was pleased to bring rape victims. Many of them. And it's not like we had a sign out or we advertised. It was like God just brought these people. They heard this, this message of God's loving me as I am, and they came. Many of them had repressed um, the, uh, the abuse. a mm-hmm. matter of fact, I would say all of them had, that, uh, that I remember ha- had, had repressed the ab- abuse. So there's one lady. I, um, she was a daughter of one of the church leaders. I'll, I'll call her Carrie. That's not her name. And uh, I'm preaching through the Song of Songs. I've written a book on the Song of Songs and God's Pursuing Love. It's, it's, it's radical. It's huge. It, it's, it's provocative. Absolutely. And I'm preaching through this. She st- And by the way, I just finished premarital counseling. I just married she and her husband. No flags. Everything's cool. She picks up a chair, throws it through the wall, and says something I won't repeat for your Whoa. viewers and storms out of the church. And I went, okay, I wasn't planning on that. I was talking about the love of God. And so I I tracked her down that week. She didn't want to talk to me, but she did. And uh, she told me this story that right in the middle of this sermon about how much God loves her, she was reminded that that she had been raped as an adolescent in a foreign country. She did the Christian thing, just chose to forgive, right? And had buried it. Just buried it. And, um, but it's a big problem now. And I, I said, well, how bad is, that? I mean, how much, uh, how much uh, is, is, is manifesting? And so I said, so if that guy was kneeling in front of you right now and you had a gun, what would you do without a hesitant, without a beat, missing a beat? She said, I would blow his effing head off. I went, okay, that this is, you well, know, she's we, don't honest. Dig, we don't have to, we don't have to, yes, we don't have to dig any deeper, you know, the, it's, it's manifested. And so, I tried talking to her. Oh, and by the way, when she's talked, when she heard about the love of God, her brain went, "Well, if He loves me, where was He?"
1: Right.
2: Right. And that's a great question, mm-hmm. um, which which I encourage uh, victims to ask because that's a great question. They're asking it some at some point in their brain anyway. So, six months passed, and uh, she comes to me. And she says, can we talk? And I went, yeah. So I I, I drove her to her house and I met her and I said, what's up? She goes, I think I've forgiven him. I went, what do you mean? What do you mean you've forgiven him? She said, I I think I have. And she tells me the story. She was walking with a friend of hers down the street in front of her house and she holds out her hands and she says, "I was telling her first of all, uh, what a stupid pastor you are, and and the message of the church is such a loser." And she was, you know, being very critical and kind of, kind of tongue in cheek, laughing. And she said, "All of a sudden, something happened in my head." And she holds out her hands, kind of like a judicial scale. Mm-hmm. And she said, it, "It was out of balance." And then all of a sudden, something clicked into balance—a justice scale. And I said, what, what does that mean? And she says, I, well, I was hating this guy. Now I'm not hating him. Mm. And I said, what, what happened? She credited the Holy Spirit for this. And I went, oh my gosh, tell me more. And I said, if that guy was dealing in front of you and you had a gun, what would you do? She said, look, I'm not inviting him over for dinner, but I'm not going to kill it. I went, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> miraculous, wow. right? So my church leaders including her father. And it told me, look, Bill, you've got to dig into this forgiveness stuff. This is a from from God thing. And so for the next five years I did, and I even ended up doing my doctoral thesis on it. Uh, I am totally convinced that we evangelicals have um, misunderstood the biblical process of forgiving. And the big thing is this. what what she mentioned with her hands was there is a sense within us we're made this way it's by the way it's in God's image too you can't just wave your hands and forgive something there has to be justice there has to be an experience of justice Uh, God says so in in Exodus 30 uh, 36 where he talks about you know uh, when he appears before Moses, he talks about he forgives thousands and so forth. But at the last verse is, but he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. There's So God doesn't forgive a single thing in my life until there has been a trial, until there has been justice and payment and condemnation. And by the way, that's the cross. So God doesn't forgive a single thing until there has been payment. He might pay it, right, yes. theologically. So what we've been doing, Diana, is we've been encouraging Christian victims to be more magnanimous than God. And we haven't done it well. And so we have a lot of Christians who have partially forgiven, but they're still in there either uh, externalizing anger, rage, triggering, or internalizing shame. Little or a lot. I'm not saying everybody's the same, but a little or a lot. So what we did is we created a, a journey. It was physical. Now it's online. Nine stations. Each station takes five minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes or so. The whole journey takes two and a half hours. And what we do is we give people that trial before God. At it's, it's station seven and eight, they're actually sitting, in, in, back to story, we have them imagining their st- they're standing before God as a judge. The perpetrator is sitting where the perpetrators sit in our courts today. And God looks at them and says, why are you here? And we, we help them do the due diligence. We help them work through what was done to them, what was taken, what was the value of that. Let's mm-hmm. mourn that. All of those things. Very powerful. And But, but it, when they get to the courtroom, they're going to ask God. We we'll give them voice, critical for justice uh, science. And we and God says, "Why are you here?" And they have a chance to say why they're here before God. Then they well, I won't tell you all the stuff, but but then there is a trial, and in the end, they actually sit down with a well, basically a love meal with Jesus uh, after the trial. And, and let me tell you the results. Uh, I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer, so we we oh, do before okay. and after surveys. Uh, so it's evidence based. So listen mm-hmm. to this. This is. This is average self-reported results for, by the way, over a thousand Christians have been through this thing. But here we go. 21% uh, on average have experienced a 21% decrease in their desire to avoid the person who hurt them. 21% in two and a half hours. It's a miracle. 38% increase in empathy or benevolence towards the person. By the way, we don't, in in either case, we don't tell them they should forgive. We don't, we, we don't, it's not a, sh- it, this thing's shame free. Third one, listen to this 20% decrease in my desire for revenge. Ooh, big one. 78% increase in my experience of justice. And that's the linchpin. They actually feel like they have been treated with honor and voice in front of a God who is the judge and who cares and who is willing to die for them and who's willing to lift up their burden eventually. So these aren't perfect numbers, but it's dramatic changes for people. Um, so we're, we're talking to Christian counselors and social workers and pastors. We're doing uh, mental health days for churches and, and those kind of things. Just to get this word out, it's so simple, uh, but, but we've misunderstood. And, and Christian ca- uh, counselors have bought into the, the secular approach is uh, victims just need to choose to give up their right to justice. And mm. if there's no God, I get that. But there is a God, and there is a God who is just, and his Holy Spirit dwells within our inner being. Anyway, um, the thing really, really, really works. And so we put it online. Anybody can go through it on any smart device. We've priced it as low as – is ridiculously low, and uh, it takes two and a half hours. And, and satisfaction guaranteed if people go, eh. Wasn't impressive. We give them their money back. It's, it's not a problem. We're here to we're here to heal, um, but we're getting ridiculous. Here is te- the most recent testimony from a uh, a lady who uh, works with uh, uh, helping women be freed from sex slaves. She says this: "I started going through the forgiving path. I think it was the third session when I reheard the truth of the gospel in my identity." It was like the situation didn't even matter because I was so amazed and fixed on what God did for me.
1: Amen.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We had one lady who was abused by horribly. And by the way, her father was, I mean, if if I mentioned his name, you would have heard his name. He's a church giant, mm -hmm. but he was a horrible father, horrible Horrible. And he, she took him uh, situations, he's dead, but she took those th- situations through five, to, uh, four times in one week because you can go through it as many times as you want for 30 days. And each time was a little bit of healing, uh, just a little bit. But for her, she'd been to counselors, psychiatrists, faith healers, um, uh, self medicating like crazy for the depression and anxiety, you know. And and this was really, really helpful for her. She is not healed, but she's happier. She is a lot happier.
1: Well, healing's a journey. It, it a doesn't journey. happen overnight.
2: If they say it does, they're lying.
1: Yeah, they're lying. I've, I'm much farther along in my healing journey than most right. of my listeners, but I can look back and say, look how far I've come.
2: Yeah, and that's yeah. worth dancing a little bit, right?
1: And my listeners know I'm a facilitator for many of the soul groups, yeah, where you're in a group of four people with two facilitators, Mm. and not everybody likes group therapy. Mm -hmm. I think this is an interesting way, a different way to access a resource for healing on an app, which you know, you mentioned the millennials and the Gen Xers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or Gen Z, pardon me. Gen Ys right. and Gen Zs. Yep. that's their thing is apps, that's their thing. And they might not sit still in a small group. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm Generation X, my husband's a boomer. And yep. those are the kind of things that we do is we yeah. we like the connection of being in a group. Um, so I think that's really intriguing. For
2: the young people out there. Yep. It's working. I, I've put elders through this. Um, it is a, a little hard because, uh, you know, it's, they're not used to it. There's a little discomfort. But once they go through it and do the before and after survey, uh, they love it. They love it. Uh, yeah, I, I think we all struggle with this. I don't, I don't know anybody who, uh, other than a pure narcissist, and they're in denial, who forgives well. And we've all been hurt.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of unnatural. Mm. I think part of the problem is the church has done a really bad Ugh. job of defining what forgiveness is. It doesn't mean that the, the guy gets off scot-free. No. It doesn't mean that the, the person can live rent-free in your head. No. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going to go to jail.
2: Right. Um, right. Or you shouldn't take him to court, right? Right.
1: Exactly.
2: Right. Totally.
1: And, you know, the flippant way that the churches have described mm. forgiveness of, has done a lot of damage. And
2: you it's know done that. a lot of damage. And, yeah, uh, so we're trying to get the word out. Now, the other one, you're speaking of shame, this is great. So 4th century, I'm a theologian, so 4th century Greek theologians, they defined the Trinity They were trying to how how do we describe the Trinity to our people? This is just 300 years after Jesus, and they came up with this metaphor. It was brilliant. They they described it as a parakresis, which in the Greek is a dance around, like this gigantic, eternal, joyous, loving. Think of a Greek, you know, Greek dance, uh, Mm. circle dance, right? And and they said that's what it looks like. So so salvation then would be that circle opening up, and regular people, sinners brought into the dance so if you're a Christian they said you're in this dance but the mm-hmm. problem is because of the world because of anxiety because of our inability to see those things we stop hearing the music and um, we stop dancing and we just get back and bend our backs and get into this work and try to fix it ourselves and 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 you know it's going to be great when Jesus comes but I'm not expecting to dance until now so we created this shorter uh, journey, this shorter gospel experience called The Dance. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all about, man, we just pummel people with the, the gospel, the simple, uncluttered gospel. There's music in there. There's dancing in there. Some's funny. Some's some serious. And then the, 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 the big thing that we do is we basically have them take their uh, critical inner voice actually to trial before God. So we have them name the voice. We, you know, we walk, work with them to come up with a name that fits. I mean, it could be my dad. It could be my mm. voice. It could be—I just called mine the Beast.
1: Oh goodness!
2: And, uh, you know, and uh, it works for me. Um, and everybody is very creative and has a lot of fun. And then we have them basically charge the Beast with lying and cereal. Uh, um murder and and all kind of things, and they bring that before God It's so much fun people who go through the dance uh just enjoy it and and we measure again before and after surveys we measure how they feel towards themselves right shame, feel towards others, feel towards God, and then this sense of vindication or 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 have you do you feel like you have justice from that critical inner voice and on average. Uh, 41% increase in their sense of relationship to others, how they feel about others. 46% relationship to God. Um, cause shame, I mean, you, you know, shame's is generic. If you're not, if you're ashamed of how your father might see you, you're probably ashamed of how you think God might see you. Uh, 42% increase in my sense of relationship to myself, my worth, and uh 42% increase in my experience of uh vindication and justice i mean the effect that i had taking my critical inner voice to trial so it's a hoot it's a gospel presentation in seven stations stuff that people will just remember and and again we're trying to get that habit going right uh as well so so the dance uh it's newer but it's only been out for a year but we're having a lot of fun with it particularly for people who struggle with shame uh who struggle with with Church abuse, where they feel damaged by their church, um, uh, and and uh, also anxiety, uh, because those things, you know, they're they're kind of interrelated in, in many ways. The fear cycle kicks mm-hmm. in, and so so we're having fun. And again, it's not a cure, and um, as Jesus far as we is do, the cure, exactly right. And we have yeah. Jesus, but we're we're actually teaching Christians to do what Paul says in Ephesians three: ask. Father, the God, from his immense power, storehouse of power, to give me that power through the Holy Spirit in my inner being so that I can begin to experience the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for me. And my critical inner voice, it's just its job to tell me I'm not lovable. It's, it's just, that's what it does. And mine does it really, really well. Uh, abuse victims, it is so powerful in there. Um, but this, this other voice, Jesus, if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. says, oh, no, 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 that, that beast is a liar, and yes. here's my voice, and I want you to experience my love. So, so if, when you have a choice, you can believe the beast or you can believe me, who are you going to go to next time? Well, chances are the people who go through the dance multiple times will develop a, a powerful spiritual habit of going to Jesus.
1: I'll tell you, I had a guest on the show, Laura Padgett, uh, mm. who's a dancer. She came on and talked about the healing properties of dance. And I'm definitely mm. going to tell her about this
2: Oh, don't no. oh I want her to test go it through out it. for you. Because, oh, my uh, goodness. Please tell her I'm begging love her it. to go through it. <laughs> she would love it. Oh, that's and, great.
1: Um, yeah, that's right up her alley. Yeah. Um, I wanted to address the shame part the definition because there's the conviction from God when you're doing something wrong, like, okay, I was speeding and I got a ticket and I had to go to the Mm -hmm. had to go to the courthouse and stand in front of a judge with all the other criminals behind me.
2: Yep. Yep. And
1: I felt guilty because yes, I did something wrong. I disobeyed the law. I was speeding being reckless. Yeah, that's different than shame that somebody else oh, yeah. imputes onto you. You've been assaulted or um, right. abused, that's and right. they say that it was your fault. That's right. You asked for it. This is right. You know, this is what you caused. Right. That's not the kind of shame that no that no. we need. That's not what what God's about.
2: No, that's exactly right. That's that's really well said. That's exactly right. Um. Yeah, when when someone abuses us or bullies us or mocks us or treats us with racism, whatever it might be, they are robbing us of our personhood, our honor, our value, and Mm -hmm. we come to believe that in shame. And that's that's that identity, my sense of self. My brain just goes, you know, if they treat me that way, I must be trash. I must be Mm -mm. uh, subhuman. I must be—and that's the lie of that critical inner spirit— and Jesus looks at shamed people, and we're all shamed people in this, in this uh, fallen world, and says, that's why I came. I came to rescue people who have been shamed. Yeah. I'm doing a book now on the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a fun, readable book, kind of uh, Chosen-esque. Uh, anyway, Jesus stands on on this hillside. In Galilee, and Matthew tells us that he's pulled together shamed people. These are people in their culture, an honor shame culture. They were the sick. They were the beat up. They were the oppressed. They were. Uh, they would have struggled with. I mean, think Matthew. Think uh, these people would have been shamed to one degree or another. And he looks out in fr- over them, and the very first thing he says is, "Is uh, makarioi are the tokoi." Let me. That Basically, that is tokoi or them. That's the shamed ones, the ones who are broken. They can't fix themselves. They can't dig out of their shame. They just dig their hole deeper. Mm-hmm. And the makarioi is you're in a state of receiving blessedness and blissfulness. It's what the gods, uh, in the Greek, it's what the gods would experience. So he looks at these people who are trashed and says, no, 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 you're makarioi. You're, You're blessed because, and here's the punchline, is because God has come down in your midst and you are looking God straight in the face right now and he is looking at you and he is treating you with honor. He is treating you as people of substance and honor, you, and he's touching you and healing you and nobody has ever experienced that. You are the first to experience that. So you are most to be honored. So he calls them the most honored group. And I bet, Diana, they had no idea. They they didn't know how to process that, right? Yep. Nobody else. They know they, their own self expression would have been: "I'm broken. I'm busted. I'm. I, I deserved it. You know, whatever it might be." Mm-hmm. But and Jesus says, "No, it's exactly why I've come. I've come so that you can have life and have it in abundance." The very first sentence, he says, and then he goes. He goes on. So blessed are the poor in spirit. That's, that's that phrase. And then what he says in the Greek is basically in context is because you're God's and God is yours. He says the kingdom of heaven is yours. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, but that's a idiom for God himself. Amen. So he's telling these poor people who didn't have anybody who treated them like they should be treated, just image bearers of God. And he says, Oh no, 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 you, you're God's. And by the way, God is yours. Can you believe this is our message? We don't get this message out very well. No. <laughs> we're, we're horrible. We fall short. Oh my gosh! But but shame, people, abused people, rape victims, uh, people uh, sold in the, sl- in the slave trade. Um, look, they're they're human, and they are looking for honor. We all want to be seen and loved as we are. We might have stopped thinking that's a possibility but it isn't in Christ.
1: Mm-mm. Have you been to Israel? I have. You have. Yeah. We went in 2019, but when you talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I can picture when we were there at the Sermon on the Mount, over yeah. the Sea of Galilee. and That's, that's amazing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And you just sit there going, oh my gosh, this this could be it. This could be yeah. where he, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's fun. Um, so Jesus has come for shamed people. That, that should be our message. Um, he's came for the blind. He came for the people who can't hear. And in Luke 4, uh, I think it's 17 and 18 or 18 and 19. And in the end, after he preaches from the book of Isaiah, the punchline is uh, so that they would receive the favor of God. Mm -hmm. Which, to circle back in my narrative style, uh, that's what I heard in that chair of Dr. Houston, is that God actually likes me. Yes, he does. That's the beginning of the cure for shamed people, is somebody of substance and worth, who's objective, who loves them, actually looks down and says, oh, no, 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 I, I like you. I like you as you are. And I can lift that shame. I have the power to do that. Gosh, that's, I mean that doesn't take the place of all the counseling we need that's you know counseling is really helpful but oh my gosh that's the foundation
1: yeah it's a tool it's an yeah, arsenal
2: that's right but what the, what people need to i was i was speaking to a 12 step uh, group up in canada and these people these men it was a very legalistic group. Mm-hmm. And they were basically, I mean, if it was one step and you're out of the program kind of thing, if you mess up right. one, you're, one, you know, uh, you're out one, one strike, you're out. And they asked me to come in to speak for two days. And the first day I came in and I told them the simple uncluttered gospel. Well, you know, they heard this new guy was coming to tell them about, you know, God, and they knew what to expect. You know, you're a loser, You're an addict. Why can't you get your act together? It's your choice. Stop acting. You know, man up. And so I spent the first 45 minutes just telling them, Christians, they're all professing Christians, and I said, God loves addicts. And I went on and on and on and on, and they were stunned. They had never heard that. Uh, They may have, but that's what they said. They didn't Um, believe it. The director almost kicked me out and removed and, 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 and took back my invite because I was enabling, right? Went, no, 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 no. Trust me, let me come back. And the next time I, come, I, I came back and I emphasized what the Holy Spirit could do and the power, this new pattern, this new. And so mm-hmm. I, whew, uh, I, But But the place was packed when I came back because they were hearing something hopeful. Yes. And, and they had tried to stop, you know? They their addiction is so ridiculously powerful. Um, It's the same thing as shame. Shame is so deeply, deeply rooted in our midbrain that needs an equal power to dig it out. And I don't have that power. No. But the Holy Spirit does. And if He can make me feel loved, my shame is beginning to unravel. I have a new aspect of the story uh, that counteracts the story that I'm a loser. And it it, it works slowly. Just it, we, we need to be in groups. We need to be sharing that with each other. We need to be hearing that from the pulpit every week, every week. Yes. And so that's why we did these online experiences. So people who get beat up one day, they can go through the dance and remember. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. God. Okay. So God likes me. Even though right now I'm feeling like trash, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, Jesus came to rescue, hurt people, beat up people like you, so that you don't have to experience that. Um, and he adores you he He loves you. Um, look into his eyes,
1: if you look at what what Jesus was like on the earth when he walked this earth is that he ministered to the forgotten. Yes. The outcasts of society to oh. women more than anybody. Yes, he ministered to women who Honored they were that. lower lower in society than than any man. Yeah, and, and he, he ministered it was
2: prostitutes to prostitutes. I mean, you know,
1: yep. And
2: I, yeah, so it's Jesus Yes. and His Spirit in us. It's a. Uh, Uh, we, we have tools, Diana, that, and and sometimes we make it way too complicated. Uh, I do, but, um, it's really simple. A child can get it. Uh, and we need to get it every day because this is, this world is corrupt and beats people up.
1: The devil's out to get (laughs) us.
2: And the devil is out there too. That's exactly right. And he's a jerk, but he is so effective. Um, Yeah.
1: Did we forget anything as we um, get down our our list here uh don't want to um, leave anything out
2: <laughs> let me tell people where they can uh get they can go to the forgiving path or the dance if they want to absolutely and by the way uh I I want to give them a coupon each each of them is only $29 and like I said it's money back guarantee again if you're not happy at all and we think you will be uh, uh just let us know and will credit it back. Zero problem. So we want to give your your uh, listeners a $10 coupon so they can go through either one or both for 19 bucks. They have 30 yeah. days to go through it as many times as they want. And we we beg them to do it. We want them to do the before and after surveys. Don't give that because that's the percent change. They'll immediately get uh, their their results. Um, mm. Such a trip. So anyway, forgiving ForgivingPath is www.forgivingpath.com. Forgivingpath.com. Real simple. The dance is the dance.org org.com. The dash dance.org. Uh forgiving path takes two and a half hours. Crazy worth it. If you if you can think of some some crime, some hurt, some wounding, some abuse, one thing, not, not a chronic, but one thing that you can remember, describe, remember kind of how you felt, bring it. And mm-hmm. stay with that all the way through and and yeah. We'll see what the gospel can do. The dance just come. It is, uh, it's just a hoot. It takes two hours. It's under two hours, but it's fun. It's um, yeah. Yeah. You, you'll, your, your people will get a kick out of it and let us know. We'd like to know the results. We'd like to, uh, we we'd like to encourage other people to go, particularly people who who've been abused. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Oh,
1: and thank you so much for that discount. That is, that's awesome. I am definitely going to go through it myself because I mentioned that I, I haven't had two hours to spare this particular week. so <laughs> That's a problem. I, I'm definitely you need a vacation. Going...
2: That's that problem is you need a vacation.
1: I do need a vacation. Um, <laughs> stu- as soon as I finish working overtime, I'm going to ask for a week
2: off. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. You do that. You okay. tell them that your pastor, Pastor Bill, says you should do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I'll definitely be giving you some feedback on, you know, what I discovered going through it. And I am going to have everything in the show notes for you listeners so you can connect with Bill. And I appreciate you coming on the show. This was amazing.
2: This was fun. I enjoyed every minute of it.
1: And definitely keep in touch. Okay. And uh, well, God bless you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, you too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.